Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where I bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition so you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all aspects of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. Welcome back to another week and another episode of That Rooted Feeling. I'm your host, Dr. Brooke Stubbs, a board-certified physician in both internal and lifestyle medicine with a master's degree in nutrition. I've been through an incredible transformational health journey, and I'm here to bring you the education and inspiration to help you do the same. This week on the podcast is a little different. We're going to shift focus to fertility and healthcare in terms of fertility. And I have a very, very special guest, Dr. Natalie Crawford. She is the co-founder of Fora Fertility, a boutique fertility practice in Austin, Texas. She's board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility. She is an affiliate clinical professor of women's health at the University of Texas Dell Medical School. She studied nutrition science at Auburn University then received her medical degree at the University of Texas Medical Branch. She was residency trained in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas and fellowship trained in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the University of North Carolina, where she also obtained a master's degree in clinical research. She's passionate about educating and empowering women and promotes fertility awareness through social media, her YouTube channel, and as the host of her own podcast, As a Woman. She is a co-founder of Pinnacle Women in Medicine, which is a leadership conference that promotes community and leadership for women in medicine. Dr. Crawford has been named to the top doctors and top doctors for women every year since 2020 by Austin Monthly. She won Best Fertility Specialist in Austin in 2019 and is the recipient of the 2019 Hope Award for Social Influence by Resolve, the National Infertility Association. She was also one of Austin's top 40 under 40 in 2020 for empowering women. You may have seen her on billboards in Times Square or as a medical contributor on CNN. And she recently partnered with five other incredible female physicians to establish the nonprofit organization known as Doctors for Fertility, which seeks to educate and advocate for women's health and reproductive rights. I am very grateful to have her on the podcast with me today and even more grateful to call her one of my very best friends. Nat, thanks for being here. Brooke, thank you so, so much for having me and for that super sweet introduction. I love you and I'm just thrilled to be here. Lots of things to say about you. You're so accomplished. Well, you know, there's just a lot of work to be done in our space, isn't there? <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so today I really, you have such a wealth of knowledge. We share such a passion for lifestyle, also fertility. I just have to tell our listeners that you were my fertility doctor. You helped me conceive both. Way of back me. when, way back when. I have a five and a two and a half year old. So if you're looking for fertility in Austin, Texas, I highly recommend Dr. Crawford. But really today I wanted to talk about doctors for fertility because when we went to Pinnacle back in May, 
And we heard from Dr. Stephanie Gustin about all of her work in Nebraska with other incredible physicians who helped her. I was just so inspired. And I want to hear more about what Doctors for Fertility does and how you guys came together. So when was it formed and for what reason? Because it's relatively new. Yeah, this is such an important discussion. And I just want to start by saying a huge thanks for even bringing this conversation because this is controversial and we have to acknowledge that. We were trained in an era of medicine where we were told as physicians not to talk about politics because it could alienate patients or make you seem a certain way that may not be appealing. But the reality is the world we live in now It's really our duty to be politically active because what is happening is medical care is being mandated and that is going to have huge implications. And we're going to dive into, for women's health and reproductive health, a lot of what's been going on in the past year, what this really means. In terms of politics, since the beginning of time, the conservative political agenda has been associated with anti-abortion and pro-life. And I respect everybody who has a pro-life viewpoint, but also I think it's really important not to close down your mind, to be very open-minded, no matter whether you're conservative or not, to listen to this discussion as a medical provider. Because as much as some of these things should not be in politics, like you said, They are, and they're being decided by people who aren't in the medical world. And that's what I really wanted to bring to the forefront. I think you're making such great points. And one thing I I always say when I talk about this issue is, one, this shouldn't be a party issue, but it is. That is mostly because the campaign against abortion has just done better marketing, is the, the flat honest truth. Their message became so easy for people to accept without putting any thought behind what it really means, or the layers to which this goes down. When we got word that Roe was going to be overturned, right? So Roe was overturned, you know, last June. But a few months before that, there started to be rumbling of that brief that was, you know, released that shouldn't have been. And that is really when we started, the founders of DFF started coming together in you know, we had a text thread of fertility docs, right? Like we always would bounce questions off each other, talk about different things. And that's really when it started to come to light that this was going to happen and this was going to impact our field tremendously and women's health in general. But what a lot of people don't realize is this entire campaign isn't against abortion, it's against reproductive rights and what we mean is healthcare autonomy. And they really want to come for IVF as well. So part of this was self-serving. Like, I'm very passionate about what I do. I think IVF has allowed so many people to become parents who deserve it. And the idea that this is all getting wrapped together is really not okay with me. Nobody should force you to do IVF. Nobody should force you to have an abortion. But you should be able to make the choice that's right for you in all of these different circumstances. And most of the time, people face circumstances that they could never imagine. And so what we're trying to do is speak out and bring it to life. So the six of us came together, had absolutely no idea what we're doing, but felt like we needed to do something. Luckily got connected through just reaching out to a bunch of different people. 
to Qasem Rashid, who is our executive director, and he has run a nonprofit in the past and really came in with the blueprint for us on what we need to do. So Doctors for Fertility is both a C3 and a C4 and also a political action committee. One thing we found that our national organization can't do when you say, oh, why don't your medical society just advocate for this? is that there's a lot of nuance in where the money actually goes when you start looking at money to politicians. And we wanted to say, hey, not only are we educating and advocating, but we are also helping train people to be advocates themselves, but we're also going to raise money and give it to people who will vote on this issue what we think is best for healthcare and people as a whole. And that's what a lot of our professional societies are not able to do. Mm-hmm. That is such an important distinction that I I wasn't even aware of, honestly. Like, it's one thing to have the education and the awareness around it. It's another thing to actually be able to make actionable steps at the level of lawmaking. Well, whether we want to admit it or not, that is how politics works in this country, is that you've got to be loud and you've got to get in people's faces and you need money to back certain things up. So the first part that we're behind is being loud and talking about. So let's just roll through a little bit about what some of these issues are and what they did. So when we talk about Roe v. Wade, what that really was is under the idea of a person's privacy, you were able to have autonomy over your health care. And so that was what the original passing by the Supreme Court was. It actually, you know, was originally fought here in Texas by a lawyer here in Austin and then went up to the Supreme Court. So we have a lot of Texas roots, which is really interesting when you think about how conservative our state is now, because really that wasn't how Texas has always been. But when we think about it, when the Supreme Court overturned this and let it go back to the state level, so many people were in anticipation of this. Texas is a good example of having a trigger bill ready that went into effect immediately once Roe was overturned. Every state is different, and this starts to, one, be confusing and be scary. In healthcare, especially in emergent situations, what we want is clarity, right? You don't want confusion. So we'll use Texas to start, right? So we have an abortion ban that essentially has an exception for life of the mother. But that can be a very vague exception and has how sick does somebody have to get for their life to be threatened is the big question. And I have, you know, going through OBGYN training, you see a lot of really terrible things, especially at a county hospital. I saw a patient in residency who had leukemia and was pregnant. And she was advised to terminate her pregnancy so she could have chemotherapy because the type of chemo she needed, she could not receive while pregnant. She did not. And she she bled, like she just bled out. She bled through her gums and her eyes and she lost the baby and she died and it was devastating. And her husband said, I'm so glad she got to make that choice. That was really important to her. And I think that's really central to what we're talking about is choice. She had the choice to say, should I end this pregnancy and do this treatment or should I not? And she chose to not. And that was her choice. And she left other kids without a mom. And it's a terrible choice to have to make anyway. But she made it. And what we've lost in that circumstance right now is there's no choice. 
And how sick do you have to get? And can you recover from that? And we are seeing stories, and I can share a few examples of patients who have gone public so we can share their stories of where this choice is impacting one, they, they get close to death, but two, their ability to have a family in the future. And so the layers to this are so intertwined. Mm-hmm. The reason why IVF comes into it, so if we kind of go right to the beginning and then we can go broader, these bills, if you're going to say, hey, I'm against abortion, well, when do you want it to stop? And so everybody's trying to walk back to the central question of where does life begin? In my mind, that's not a question that your politician should be answering. That's your own belief. That's your own religion. And even every religion says something different. But these words that politicians are using, such as fertilization, implantation, they mean things. They have a scientific meaning, yet they don't know what they are. And so when you say, oh, life begins at fertilization. All right. Well, when we do IVF, we take eggs out of the body and we fertilize them in the lab. Well, then I grow these embryos out for five to six days. And then I can biopsy them for genetics. That helps so many people get pregnant. We can rule out like life-threatening genetic diseases. We freeze the embryos, transfer one, you know this, and we have others frozen that we can thaw later to be your second child and not put you through the entire process. That technology has made IVF more accessible, more affordable, more successful. However, if you tell me life begins at fertilization, how do I freeze an embryo? How do I biopsy it? How, it it's a life, right? How, how does it tell me what it wants to do that doesn't make any sense or who decides on behalf of it? And these aren't hypothetical scenarios. There's definitely countries that abide by very religious principles when it comes to IVF. And this is why IVF is much less successful in a lot of other countries. In some countries, you cannot freeze or biopsy or do genetic testing on any embryos. Anything that makes it to, you have to transfer. Anything that's fertilized, you have to transfer. So you can imagine right now going through, that is either extremely high risky for multiples or you are throwing a lot of eggs in the trash, right? right? Because I can only fertilize what I'm willing to put into your body. And then if it doesn't work, you've got to go through the whole process all over again. Right now in the U.S., I have patients who feel very differently about IVF, and it's a very personal thing. When patients are against some part of it or have a hard idea, we often talk through these different spots. And I do have some patients who say, hey, I just feel really strongly. Any fertilized egg, it needs to go into my body. And we modify IVF, and they understand it's going to take them longer, cost more, and they'll have to go through more cycles. But that makes the process work for them, and that's their choice. What we're worried about is that some of these laws will also start to take IVF back to the place where it becomes unsafe or unsuccessful, much more expensive. And the reality is less accessible. People aren't going to practice like that. People will leave. You will see people leave those states and you're going to start to get care deserts as we're already starting to see with high-risk OBGYN doctors who are not willing to practice in a state where they cannot even counsel their patients on the options. That's what Texas is right now. In Texas, you can't even counsel your patients on the options, let alone treat them, like do the procedure if they need a determination, but you can't even counsel them. So somebody has to... Ramification is going to prison. Going to prison and huge fines and potentially losing your license, right? So when we think about some of these things, 
That's crazy. That means in the same day, and this happens to my patients, in the same day, you get told your baby has a lethal anomaly and will not survive. The person who tells you that has to say, I am not permitted by law to talk to you anymore about your options. You will have to seek care and counseling elsewhere. And that is what people are being told by high-risk OBGYN doctors or their OBGYN, not because that person's doing a bad job, but legally that's what they're allowed to do. And it's such subpar care that we are losing physicians because nobody should be forced to practice that way. But that's going to have multi-level consequences. What we've seen with this whole life of the mother, you know, is that what about if there is a heartbeat within ectopic and you go in, right? 99.9% of ectopics are never going to survive. However, there's these weird case reports of abdominal pregnancies and this and that. How sick do you have to be before somebody will operate on you or give you methotrexate? The real ones that are, are really, really bad are your pre-viable hemorrhage. That's what Chrissy Teigen had. She was very public about her prior loss where she, at a late teen gestation, started having heavy, heavy bleeding, eventually had a rupture of membranes and like her bag of water burst at a pre-viable point and she lost a pregnancy. But they induced her before she got super sick. They were transfusing her as soon as her water broke and she was too early. They induced her. And she has come out and been a nice advocate saying that was they when they induced me and that baby had a heartbeat at an age where it could never survive outside of me, that was an abortion. And it was. It was a medically necessary abortion to save her life. But they did it before she got very sick. What we mean by very sick right now for most people, this means they get what we call a septic abortion, which is where you get infected like inside your uterus, you have a huge infection. This is extremely life-threatening. And when people tell you that people used to die from abortions or illegal abortions kill a lot of people, and there used to be what they called septic wards and hospitals, this was from abortion procedures gone wrong, done in back alleys, done illegally, not in ORs with clean, sterile instruments, because it is a very simple procedure. The procedure that somebody has when they have a miscarriage and we do a DNC to just help in that miscarriage and get the patient on is the exact same thing that we're talking about when we talk about a pregnancy termination. But some of these circumstances, if you get septic, not only is your life at risk, you're going to go to the ICU. You're going to be immediately induced or delivered, whatever that means. Your risk of uterine scar tissue is so high because the uterus does not recover from infection very well. And that means that you're likely not going to be able to carry a baby again. And we are seeing that in women right now in the state of Texas, and there's a group of them who are suing the state because they've had to wait. And this delay of care is leading to significant medical consequences. I have a patient who had a lethal fetal anomaly after IVF. And it happens, right? IVF can often test for genetic diseases, but her baby had anencephaly, so no brain. And so her baby's not going to survive, extremely traumatic. And she, through her own, has to search out where she's going to go, gets an appointment in New Mexico. And the day she is in the airport to board the plane, they call and cancel because they don't have enough staff and they're so overwhelmed. By the time she can get an appointment somewhere else out of state, it's five weeks later. And now she can go somewhere else. So she, for... You know, 
just skyrocketed. Yeah. And for five five weeks, she's just waiting, right? And this this baby's still growing. It is it's the procedure is becoming more dangerous the further along she gets. And having the procedure done five weeks later carries many more risks. And she now has uterine issues that she probably wouldn't have had had she been able to have it earlier. And it was already extremely hard to have uh, an elective termination in the state of Texas as it was with certain, rec- you know, legalities. People had to, even if your baby had a lethal anomaly, you had to hear the heartbeat, have a waiting period, yeah. do all this weird educational stuff. So yeah, I, love it. I just want to stop you for, because you keep mentioning heartbeat and I want people who don't, maybe don't realize what the new Texas law is. It's called the Heartbeat Protection Act, right? Yes. H.R. 175 or something like that. Can you explain the actual law to us that was put into place? Yeah. So the Texas Trigger Bill, affectionately known as the Heartbeat Bill, is essentially once there is cardiac activity of a fetus, you are no longer permitted to terminate the fetus without the exception for life of the mother. And the nuance here is if we are being very pragmatic about a menstrual cycle. So the day you have your period, we consider day number one. That's when your pregnancy starts getting counted before you've ever gotten pregnant. The day you ovulate is two weeks. So you're two weeks pregnant when you're ovulating an egg. By the time you get a pregnancy test at its soonest, you're four weeks pregnant. We see cardiac activity at six weeks. So two weeks from that mark. So that means that if you find out you're pregnant and you need, want, you have a medical condition, you don't want to be pregnant, whatever it is, you have at the most two weeks to have this done. And the truth is that's that's not enough time. And almost most people don't even know at four weeks unless you were trying to get pregnant because if you're waiting for a missed period, you're going to be a week or so later when you're saying, oh, my period's actually late because most women know your period is not always exactly on the right day. So you're probably, oh, I just late this month. So if you're trying to get pregnant, it's one thing. These people who are getting a pregnancy termination in this very early stage, these are usually not planned pregnancies. These are pregnancies that potentially occur from rape, incest, accidental Potentially, you have medical things that make this pregnancy so dangerous. Maybe you have lupus nephritis. You're going to go into kidney failure from the burden of the pregnancy, cancer, you know, these other circumstances. So that's so narrow. That's really what the law is. And then there's all these nuances where as a medical professional, you'll get jail time and a big fine. If you talk about like aid and abetting, essentially somebody seeking a termination after that heartbeat interval. And there's some interesting verbiage about an embryo that we should come back to in a minute in this trigger bill as well. Oh, my gosh. And I also want to bring to light that the two big cases that you just told us, not only Chrissy Teigen's, but the one we were just talking about where, you know, she had to wait five weeks to seek termination elsewhere. They wanted these pregnancies. One was these were these are both fertility patients, both of them. Right. Chrissy was, too. And so these are people who are desperately wanting a baby. yet. Things do not always go as planned. That pregnancy is not health neutral. But the truth is that you can have the most desired pregnancy on earth and you might need a termination because that pregnancy is not going to survive. 
that might be the kindest thing you can do to have that baby not have any pain. You might be older. You might not have time to carry that baby to full term and give birth and get pregnant again. The mm-hmm. risks of a pregnancy go immensely the further along you get and the wait period before you can get pregnant again. So the idea that all you things just better with your doctor when you're trying to make this terribly difficult decision. But if yes. you don't have choice, then it could be catastrophic. And I think it's really... What a lot of us are trying to central this issue back is I don't I don't care what you do. And I, I tell my patient, like, it does not impact me at all. If you want to carry your baby with anencephaly as far as you can and give birth to it, or if you want to have a termination, like that is not my decision. It's yours, but it should be yours. And I really feel like that's where the issue got focused on life, which is so misguided because we're we're just sacrificing one life for another. We're just compromising maternal health. And this is what studies are showing us that in safe abortion, future life, right? Exactly. Current and future family, current life, future family, future health. States with abortion bans since Roe got overturned have an increase in maternal deaths. They have an increase in severe maternal morbidity, and there's no increase in fetal survival. So these bills are not associated with us having more life, right? Right. Actually, in contrast, is what we are seeing. Right. And And you mentioned things like lupus nephritis or things that are just, you know, they're obscure things that not, I'm a physician, but I don't practice fertility and I don't know how these pregnancy affects these particular things. And I always lean on my OB specialist for those things. So I in, I, in my wildest imagination, would never expect a politician who's making this decision for women's health care to be able to have all the nuanced education or information to be able to make these blanket laws. And, and they don't. And I will say in some states, politicians are starting to realize this and are being receptive to education. And that's part of it, right? Because if you think about what would you want for your wife, sister, daughter, niece, cousin, friend, colleague, is you want them to be able to make a choice with their doctor and their family that's in line with their beliefs or what is best for their family. And these words, as we said, heartbeat or cardiac activity, implantation, fertilization, they do have very specific meanings. And that starts to be very scary. And when we talk about where does this go, right? We're already talking about what I call pregnancy management because not every pregnancy, not every embryo or fetus is going to be viable. And we know that, right? So pregnancy management includes managements of pregnancies with anomalies, pregnancies that have maternal complications, miscarriages that are incomplete, incompetent cervix, molar pregnancies. Gosh, I was a fellow And I was the attending on when we had a twin pregnancy. One was a mole and one was a surviving twin. And this, I was pregnant and this patient had a very desperately wanted pregnancy. And she was in what we call thyroid storm. And she was in hypertensive crisis from the molar pregnancy because of the hormones that it emits out. And because this was a twin pregnancy, we had to terminate the twin in order to take out the mole. And it was a life-saving procedure that was terrible for her. 
And she didn't even know this could happen, right? And I think that's part of it is that pregnancy and this pregnancy management, so much of it, to your point, is so obscure. And that's fine. It should be. People should be able to have a naive look at the world and have a happy pregnancy and not worry about all these things because we're trained in being able to manage them. But when politicians come in and say, well, you can't, you can't manage ectopics and you can't manage missed miscarriages and you can't manage, you know, having an infection or this or that, that falls into the spectrum. But what comes right next to it? What comes right next to this when you start talking about implantation and fertilization becomes IVF. And can you use IVF technology to get pregnant? And where do you draw the line? And contraceptive care. Because how do some contraceptives work? Is they inhibit different things depending on what contraceptive you're using. So we see the line between abortion ban and a full reproductive rights ban. That's where they're going. And they're being very loud about it is nobody wants to stop banning abortion. They want to ban contraceptive options and they want to ban IVF technology. So where does that leave you in no control of your reproductive health on any end? Yeah. And I just like, I think because it hasn't affected all of the U.S., like we have a little bit, you know, to like, you know, a little bit of hope to rest on. But when we were at Pentacle, there was somebody who was saying their patients couldn't even get their prescription for Mesoprostol in California because there was concern that they would have some kind of legal ramification brought against them, right? It's really crazy. And it is going to only get worse, Mm -hmm. I fear. We do see a lot of people right now with the, well, that's not my state. I don't live in Texas or I don't live here and kind of turning a blind eye. But the reality is these things spread, right? And what we are seeing is other states not only trying to duplicate what Texas has done, but then double downing. So Nebraska, what Dr. Stephanie Gustin fought for a very long time, Nebraska had abortion legal until 23 weeks, which which is late, but it was allowing patients like mine, who I said had to wait five weeks, could have gone. And there were certain criteria to have an abortion in the second trimester about it being a fetal anomaly or this and that. And that's the truth. People aren't just getting a termination in the second trimester because they don't want to be pregnant. Those people mm-hmm. got a termination at a much earlier stage. This is because you couldn't get diagnosed until this far along. But they successfully fought for almost a year against an abortion ban that was being brought up by educating grassroots efforts, extremely admirable. However, in May, LB 574 was a 12-week abortion ban. So abortion is now illegal after 12 weeks. And one of the worst parts about this bill is that they slid in gender-affirming care and puberty blockers and any trans treatment. And that's how they got the abortion ban passed because people were in support of not allowing puberty blockers or treating anybody who was trans. Mm. That's a whole separate discussion, right? So, but the reality is we can say simply Puberty blockers alone really don't do any harm. That's not hormonal therapy to gender transform somebody, but that gives often a child who can be emotionally unstable as a teenager when puberty's coming time to get therapy and help and figure things out. So they even banned that, but that's what that bill was. And 
essentially got voted on behind the scenes. And that's how a lot of deals get made in politics, which is which is really sad. It's definitely not as severe as we have here, but it still is well before you have your anatomy scan. It is well before you know if your baby has got a full brain. It's well before you know if you have any of these birth defects. So it still means that you could have a very desired, very normal pregnancy and something's gone wrong. And now you will have to leave the state to get care, even though you did absolutely nothing wrong. It's just a random occurrence. We know that birth defects happen in three to four percent of all pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I just remember listening to Stephanie and being so I should call her Dr. Gustin. The efforts that they made, I mean, they had to, these bills were being discussed mid hours when they were practicing medicine, right? They had to get people to cover their shifts in order to leave, in order to have their voices heard on this bill. I mean, the the links they went to to delay this, which ended up being thwarted, of course, in May. But I mean, it was very inspiring. And I think really at the end of the day, if more people understood the healthcare ramifications, the ramifications on fertility for people building families, for risk to, you know, life itself of the mother or future pregnancies, then, you know, it wouldn't be such a partisan issue. It wouldn't be the grounds that some of these politicians run on. You're completely correct, Brooke. And one thing that Stephanie has said that was so compelling is that they were able to make this not a partisan issue in Nebraska for a very long time by having people share their story. And what they did is they started gathering people's stories of IVF and why that was important or their miscarriage or their ectopic pregnancy or their termination or their access to contraception. And they were able to sort them into by constituents and send them. These are the people who are voting for you. And this is why it is important to them to have access to reproductive care. And that's one thing that Doctors for Fertility is trying to do on a national level is on our website, we have places where you can share your story. So maybe you say, I don't have money. I can't just give money. That's not something I can give. More powerfully is you can share your story. It can be, you don't have to put it on social media if that's not where you're comfortable. Nobody wants you to have to do that if you're not comfortable there. If you are comfortable, that can be extremely impactful. Because one of the problems with where we are is we're behind in the marketing campaign. People think that this is about killing babies when really it's about giving people the choice to decide what healthcare is best for them in usually extremely terrible circumstances that they never wanted to be in. And so by hearing more of these stories, like Chrissy Teigen, like my patient, like the patient who got septic, these take real life examples and people start to realize, wow, this could happen to me or my best friend or my daughter. And this is really important that we allow our physicians who've been trained in this to counsel people correctly so that they can make a choice. And that's all it is, right? You get the education to hear what your choices are, and then you're the one who gets to make it. And so you can share your story on doctorsforfertility.org. You can share it online. And those things become very powerful. If you're in the state of Texas, you can join the lawsuit. The Center for Reproductive Rights is behind it. And you can reach out and say, I want to join the lawsuit if you have been personally impacted since Roe was overturned here in the state of Texas. 
You can talk to the news. You can talk to us. We can connect you. And I think that is part of what one person sometimes says, I can't do much as a me. We really need to change the mentality because we can do a lot together. It's just when nobody wants to talk about it and there's a huge stigma, it is very hard to get anything done. But when we start to share stories, we start to speak up, people start to realize why this issue is important because people do deserve to be able to make that choice and people do deserve full access to reproductive care on all ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have a story, how else can we help? I know you need money. Oh, we do need money. I mean, that's like never the fun thing, but money is really important, right? So on Doctors for Fertility, you can donate. And so money goes to educational efforts. It goes to grassroots efforts. It goes to advocacy. We are training physicians to be able to feel more competent going up to their local legislative office, talking to people about these issues like you, somebody who maybe isn't in OBGYN and feels like I'm not really qualified to speak on this. We're helping bridge the gap. So you can say, as a physician, I recognize this is important, or even as a person. So we're training more than just physicians. We're training people who want to be able to advocate. And then on the PAC side of things, the DFF PAC, which is dffpac.org, we are collecting money specifically to be able to give to Canada to support reproductive rights, especially in crucial states, and really trying to put money where the vote is. And I think the last thing is, very often, you and I are very similar. We grew up in the South and, you know, we live in Texas. And when I grew up, I grew up in Georgia. So this was not an issue that was ever talked about because it was so controversial. And the only right answer was abortion is bad. And the truth is you can have hard discussions with people in your life. And that's probably one of the most impactful things you can also do because talking to your parents or your siblings or your friends about why this is important and asking them, are you going to vote? You need to vote for this, this proposition, this person, this matters to me because we need to make it personal. We need somebody else to feel compelled to vote because it's important to us. And they're not just going to come to that conclusion on their own. So speaking up, talking to people in your life about it, even if you haven't personally been impacted, we hope the law has changed before you are. So you can donate your time, your money, share your story, talk to people in your life, encourage people to vote when the time comes and you can share. So, you know, we're on Doctors for Fertility on Instagram, sharing things that we are posting and putting out just to help spread word of our organization is also going to be helpful because the more traction we can get, ultimately, the more donations we can get, the more members we can get for people who want to be trained and become better advocates for reproductive care. Yeah, I became a member when we were at Pinnacle after the discussion, and there's an annual fee associated with that, which helps the efforts, right? There so is. Can anybody become a member or do you have to be a physician? Anybody can become a member. And we do have a training rate for somebody who is a resident or a student. So we do have a rate that's slightly less for somebody who is still in training. I will say most of our members are in healthcare. They're not all physicians, so we'll just say in healthcare. But we definitely have people who are not in healthcare who feel very passionate and they are joining as, you know, advocates for the infertility community who want to be able to go and speak up about why IVF protection and contraceptive access and access to reproductive care is important to them. So we are taking everyone. Okay. And if you're in Austin, 
we are really excited to announce that yes. Natalie and I are partnering up. We're hosting a wellness event. It's going to be a great day of fun and relaxation and education and inspiration, really to benefit Doctors for Fertility, but really to give you guys a wonderful day of relaxation and wellness. And it's going to be a great event. It's in Austin. So if you're in Austin, we'll put the link to get a ticket. You do have to purchase a ticket. It's going to be at a beautiful private home on Lake Austin. I think even the Real Housewives of Dallas stayed there. So it's it's really legit, (laughs) but it's extremely limited access too because because of the private nature of the residents. So Get on the link to the Eventbrite ticket and get your ticket right now. So you can get that link below. We'll also put the link to doctorsforfertility.com where you can donate and for the pact. And then Natalie, tell us where everybody can find you. Absolutely. So I am on Instagram and TikTok at Natalie Crawford, MD. And I am at Fora Fertility here in Austin. And as you said before, I'm on YouTube and you can also listen to the As a Woman podcast. But I will also put on my Instagram and everywhere links to this as well, because we really want to see you there. It's going to be a fantastic event. And if you are also passionate and want to support us, as Brooke said, some of the proceeds are going to go to Doctors for Fertility. So you're going to be helping yourself and you're going to be helping everybody else. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. And we hope to see you there. And as always, you can find me at Rookie Stubbs MD on Instagram and TikTok. And Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Love you, friend. Thank you so much for having me, Brooke. You're absolutely fabulous. Oh, I love you too. You're the you're the most fabulous. And thank you to all our listeners for being here today. And I will see you all again next week. <laughs>